From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rock and Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Shannon. I'm here today with Cheryl McMillan. Hi, Cheryl. How are you today? I'm well. And you, Mark? You know, um, I'm so happy to have you here. Let's tell our audience a little bit about what I know about you. And Cheryl is an outstandingly kind and compassionate person. I know that because we're friends. And she's a music fan and a supporter of the arts. And she's also an artist herself. She's an expressive artist that works in the medium of jewelry. She's also a journey person in the corporate world. She's a skilled facilitator who works with companies and also as an executive coach. Her purpose is to champion the conscious and less reactive path that results in better results for business and in life. And I think there's stuff I've left off, haven't I? We talked about that. Tell me some more. Yeah, a big part of my life is a personality system. It's really a spiritual system called the Enneagram. So I'm certified as both an Enneagram teacher and an Enneagram professional, which means one-to-one. And so I incorporate that into all my work. So where would our listeners go? to find out more of that, like right off the bat, I'm like, I wanna go find out more about that. How do I do that? Yeah, I'm trained in the school that's called the Narrative Enneagram. So if they Google Narrative Enneagram, that site will come up and they can learn more. Now, what did we do before Google when we couldn't find out things that we wanted to know? Do you remember what it was like when you, when you couldn't just have instant knowledge about things? That's a good thing and a bad thing, like a double-edged sword. So today we're here to talk about you, and I'm so happy that you decided to become our guest here on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Tell our listeners a little bit about your story, your recovery story, and your own unique yeah. uh, place that you're coming from here, because I think this is this is a little, maybe a little different than we're normally here in this, this show. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm really, when we talked before, I was just fascinated. So it's my turn to be quiet. I come from recovering from trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, and neglect when I was little. And there was just multiple series of events up until the point where I was 28. So I'd like to talk about my process of recovering from that and even share some of the gifts of that experience. You know, when we all begin to tell our stories, I don't know about you, but it's always different for me. You know, and it's with that place where that consciousness comes from. And I, I think it's certainly something to do with the power that's greater than me. But we all have drawn to be able to start our stories and tell our stories from a place where we can see it as the beginning. Where would be the beginning? For you? My physical abuse started around the time when I was two. And it continued until I was at least five. And then my, my parents got divorced and my mother was dealing with her own stuff. So growing up 
we had a lot of times when when we were just left alone and there wasn't any nurturing so i grew up really without the the sense of what it was like to be loved by parents i i i didn't know what that felt like you know i was just talking the other day about the same topic and i told this person i knew something was different with my family when i went over to my friend's house and i could see that there was a difference in their household there was a mother or a father and there was an order or discipline and there was caring and kindness someone was telling people to brush their teeth someone was telling people to to do this or do that you know i i totally totally get what you're talking about i remember parts and like we moved in in the middle of kindergarten so it was a brand brand new school in the middle of kindergarten and you know my school experience i remember kids laughing at me because i couldn't remember my new phone number and address mm. so school just school through second grade just continued the the feeling of abuse and i was in such a trauma state i don't remember too much about those years at all mm. but what i do remember is I felt so sick every morning. I didn't want to go to school. I put up a fight. I was behind in school, so I got a lot of extra homework and I remember looking at this worksheet and I didn't know the words. I I I couldn't read it. I couldn't comprehend it. And so I would just go down and and you know like circle something, like those old multiple choice you know fill in the bubbles you just fill in C and you got to get some right right but i had no focus i i just was so shut down i couldn't comprehend anything right. and i got i was so physically upset by the time i was in third grade that i was di- diagnosed as having had an ulcer and they put me on tranquilizers they just tried to drug me up But what what changed was in 3rd grade we moved again and I had a caring teacher who made school safe. And so it took away that trauma piece. So I started to feel at least okay in this teacher's classroom. And that made a a big difference. So thank you to all the teachers who have that ability of making kids safe because you just don't know where people are coming from. For me it was a mom in the neighborhood. that saw that when other kids went in to play um or from from playing to go home for lunch she knew that I didn't know what to do right she knew that I and she would always invite me in and you know i think that you know those people in our lives they're such gifts and i i'm thinking of her right now and i'm just i wish that i could see her again to tell her just how kind that chip chop ham sandwich was to me You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it was like you don't understand. That was made me feel like I was I was a okay kid. Some grown-up was taking care of me. You know, when yeah. I was hungry, you know what I mean, instead of going home and you know, it was not like there wasn't food there, but there was nobody saying, "Hey, you know, come here. Come on in. You know, it's, you know, now it's lunchtime. You should be doing this." Or, you know, how was school today? Did you get your homework? What's what's for homework today? you know and and you know those feelings i think that for people like you and i they become like little little repairs 
on this cloak of this garment we wear our whole life. Sure, it gets repaired, but you always see the place where the mending was done, right? Right? Yeah, there's a scar. Yeah. Yeah. Raising awareness, removing stigma, and offering hope. Hi, I'm Garrett Hart for Rock and Recovery. It's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction, trauma, and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24-7 radio channel streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little R&R. Rock and Recovery. Recovery rocks. So continue. What were the teenagers like for you? Oh, God, they were... <laughs> they, they were not a, a lot of a lot of fun. The, the kids in school were just just mean in high school. We had very very little money, and so I remember on my my outfits I would have to space them out. So I'd like wear the same thing on. Monday, and then wear it again on Friday, thinking if there was enough space in there, I wouldn't get made fun of. But I did. You know, I'm walking down there and down the hall, and people, oh, you're wearing that again, Cheryl. I mean, they were just cruel. Plus, my mother kind of had a reputation in town, and I grew up in a small town, so all the teachers knew. And the the teachers in high school, a lot of them were just really cruel too so it's like the sins of the mother were were transformed to me Judgments. and then in mm-hmm. um you come from that family right yeah right right the right. big label the big label was put out in front of you I stuck on stuck right. on your forehead yes mm-hmm. and then when i was in seventh grade my my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and it had metastasized but nobody knew it had metastasized because she just got really, really bad care in a small town. My uncle was a, a minister in Detroit. So he had a lot of contact and a lot of friends who were very, very good physicians. He recognized it right away. So she was up there for, I don't know, a good year for treatment. So every Friday afternoon after school, we'd pack up the car, we'd go to Michigan and I'd spent you know more or less a year totally out of any social connection doesn't sound like you were afforded the luxury of being able to have a childhood no i i wasn't right and then two weeks before 10th grade she died Mm -hmm. and i got really physically sick again all my stress i didn't have a place to go so it just went inside and it's kind of a weird manifestation, but the body is just, it's really is amazing. I started to get skin that was just peeling off of my face. And it was because of all of the stress. 
So went to a doctor again. That was the second time they tried to highly tranquilize me. So not only did they give me pills, but every time I would go to the doctor, he'd give me these shots and I would come come back to school and I was I was high as a kite. Everything was funny, you know, I was a little wobbly in my in my chair. But th- there was something inside of me that knew I didn't like to feel that way. So just like I did when I was in third grade, I was like, I don't like the way these things make me feel. So I stopped taking them. And then I just totally stopped taking them again. I said, this is, this is just ridiculous. So, you know, I just kind of hung on through my junior and senior year gone to school gone you know had i had a job because i needed money for anything that i i wanted to do and i was so looking forward to going to college because i was out of there and i saw it as a clean start right let's just wherever we are leave here that was the big cure right a geographic (laughs) relocation was all we thought about you know, yeah. I, I resonate with that because for me, all I wanted to do was just leave Ohio. I just, I, there was nothing for me, nothing yeah. for me. And I knew that out there, there was a world where I could be someone that nobody knew my Ohio story, right? Right. Be someone right. That was exciting. So you got out of high school yeah. and what happened yeah. then? I went all the way to Akron. So from Orville to Akron, that was a really big leap. That's a big, that's a big journey. Yeah. 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 It, it was a big leap. Yeah. And so I met some, some, some friends who I still keep in touch with today. And you know, that, that was great. But I remember I would just have these, episodes where I would burst into tears uncontrollably for hours and I had no idea where it was coming from no what, idea what did you think and about I, that at that time what were you thinking that it was were you thinking that you were just like um, I'm just a, a person with high levels of emotional responses I'm not like everybody else what were you thinking because that's oh yeah yeah my story too. Yeah. yeah, you know, the message with the abuse and the neglect, you know, I I had these deep beliefs about myself. First of all, I don't matter. And the second of all is this deep sense of shame with, because the message was, you are such a bad person and you are responsible for whatever this circumstance that I happen to be in. So when I got those, it was just, oh, God, here I am again. I'm just totally weird, and people didn't know what to to do with that. We internalized all that pain from our childhood because you know we just felt like you know you know other kids didn't have this happening to us, so we must be we must be the wrong kids. We're the wrong ones. Yeah. We're the wrong kids. We're the bad kids. We're the unlucky kids. You know, we're those kids yeah. that all the moms and dads told would would talk about you know not to be like. Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. When I was a freshman in college, I lost my brother Brian to suicide. And I just wanted no other young adult to have to go through that. Allison Melman lost her brother to suicide. She is now the executive director and founder of Active Minds. Her mission? To break down stigma 
and start the conversation about mental health issues affecting young adults on college campuses. The fact is that one in four American adults has a mental illness at any given time, and so these are real issues that impact all of us, and they first present at the high school and the college age. And so the work of Active Minds is really to encourage dialogue around mental health, to get young adults learning about these issues, about signs and symptoms, things to watch out for in themselves and their friends, and where to get help. Hear the full interview and learn more about Active Minds at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. So let's let's and, move forward a little bit to see to the point where maybe you can start seeing that, you know, that little bit of a crack in the in the light comes through the door to say maybe something's not right. Maybe something's yeah. not right here. One more piece I want to add to the stories. Okay. So my second year in college, I got into a. a a serious relationship. And that's when the emotional abuse lasted uh, for about eight years. I think subtly he was able to pick up on what I had internalized. So every day it was a little bit of brainwashing. It was a little bit more gaslighting, reinforcing these messages I don't matter, and you are bad, and you are the one who's totally responsible for what I'm feeling in this situation. It's you. It's you. It's not me. And I still don't have a clue because I found out about five years ago. Five years ago, I was able to piece my whole story together because my mom's family had sworn to her that they wouldn't tell me what happened. But it was... It was too much for my uncle to contain, and one day he blurted it out. And then I really started investigating. Because I really, I mean, I remember he had a temper, but I had no idea I was physically abused. Because those memories are just, they're just gone. That's our survival uh, our, our survival techniques as kids, as we were able to learn to behave, that that won't happen, and then learn to be able to move forward quickly so that we can continue. Because we that's our only coping skill. It's just move forward, yeah. right? Put it away, yeah. put it away, put those things right. away. That's not happening. Don't talk about it. That's not happening. And so my first, I, I remember the wake up call. I, rem- I remember what I was doing. I, I remember the feeling when I was going for some additional Enneagram training. We use a lot of the work that comes from trauma research to help unwire the patterns, because we have psychological patterns, but we also have patterns that are wired in the body. And we need to work with both. So we use a lot of of research from trauma. So I thought, well, I've got three and a half hour drive. I'll just stick on this audio book and I'll get some additional knowledge when I go down there. And I was listening to a book by Peter Levine, who's one of the, the famous research, researchers in that area. And he was describing symptoms of PTSD. And I got this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Oh my God, that's me. That is totally me and I almost had to pull over the side of the side of the road and I thought I can't deal with this by myself this is this is bigger than me I need help so that's when the first light 
went off to say, maybe what I feel, maybe what's happening to me, maybe my troubles with relationships, maybe my troubles with coping, maybe it's something that is something I need to get help with. I think I call that the please help me moment, right? You know, where we uh, we say, you know, I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. Right. I, I need to get help. And it's funny how when we talk about recovery, we talk about if, you know, either one of us would fall down and break our arm, it would be no thought at all for us to just, well, I got to go to the emergency room. I got to do this. I got to do this. You know what I mean? If our car crashes, yeah. you know what I mean? If one of our kids gets sick for... If our pet isn't feeling well or anything, we would have the compassion to know we need to get some help here. But when it comes to people in recovery, oftentimes the last person that will admit to that person is that we need to get help. And it takes a moment. I call it the moment of clarity. You know what I mean? That big moment where what happened? Mm-hmm. You're driving. You right. The topic of PTSD has makes you feel differently about what you know about you? Well, I found a a wonderful therapist. Mm -hmm. And I I would highly recommend, you know, some therapists can do more damage if they are not trained in trauma. Mm -hmm. So a trained trauma therapist. I I still see him, not not as often as I did in the beginning because it was pretty darn frequent. But he, I mean, he he helped me, first of all, feel safe inside my body. In the Enneagram work, we would, you know, check in inside, you know, go inside and see what's happening. I couldn't stay in there because all I would feel was this absolute sense of pure terror. I had no idea where where it was coming from. So in the beginning, it was just a lot of work to feel safe inside my own body. And then he did a lot of work on desensitizing some of the memories that I did have, some of the the feelings, because they all get all jumbled up together, you know, up until the time really is my late 20s. you start to see the things that had happened to you? Were you able to bring those memories closer into focus through this process or were they just still just a room you couldn't walk into? It's not that I couldn't walk into them. Trauma changes the way we remember. And it's just some of those years, they're, they're just gone. So I didn't get any more memories, but my body knew my body would have the reaction. So tell me how you felt when you started becoming aware of these things and you were getting through the counseling. What was the, what was, was there a start to be a payoff and difference in behavior? How did you start to see the change manifest itself? We're starting recovery here. Well, I've read a whole lot. So I, I understood. My therapist told me you are normal. And I went, what did you say? Yeah, he said, you had a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. And I was speechless. Right. I mean, nobody ever told me that before. 
So just getting educated about how the body responds, Mm -hmm. and I could see it just wasn't me. These are typical reactions to the circumstances that happened. So there was so much comfort just knowing that. I had a really, really good uh, chemical dependency concert. And what I remember is not so much what we would do in those sessions that I, I remember that I felt like when I left, like, wow, what I went through, you know what I mean? That wasn't me and it's okay to feel the way I felt. You know, yeah. that first time I ever felt like it was okay. It was yeah. okay. You know what I mean? I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm not, you know, crazy, you know, and that was yeah. my- or I'm not unfixable, right? Which was my biggest fear. Like I had a deep, deep problem that I could never ever share with anyone because it was never going to get repaired. Mm-hmm. So you're moving down the path now. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and how long did before when you started therapy, how long before you felt like you needed to turn in? And I'm, I'm assuming that you, you had this moment. We haven't really talked about it. How long before you had that moment where you had to turn to become an advocate for people that, because what you do now, right? Come on. You facilitate, you help, you use your kindness and compassion that you learned through what you went through to help others. This much I know about you (laughs) is the kindness and compassion circles around you like an aura. Right. And one of the first things I noticed about you when we started working together is we work on a, uh, an advisory council for, for uh, the station for rock and recovery is that there's just, a, there was a feeling of, you know, as an, as an empath, I can see people who have deep compassion and kindness. And that was the first thing I saw about you. you know? So when was it that moment where you felt you had to turn what had happened to you into what you could do? to help others. Yeah. You know, I think it was very gradual for me, but once I started to manage, you know, how I felt inside, then I was able to hold the space for people to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And I'm, I'm, this is one of the gifts. I'm I'm comfortable now with feeling the pain. Because what I, I look at is I, I have these moments where I actually feel warm in the heart. You know, like I feel love. I, I never thought I'd feel that. So I can sit there with that ability and also the increased capacity to deal with deep pain. And I can create and hold that space for others. And I think it was part of my work that helped bring out that ability. I love that phrase, holding space. I do. And and, and really, people, what that's all about is just the ability to sit with someone in a non-judgmental form and allow them to experience what they need to go through with someone else so they're not alone. And it's often done right. with people as they're coming into the end of their their normal their normal living life, their biological life, right? Is that we mm-hmm. we're often counseled by, by by people who are used to that of saying, well, just you've got to learn to be able to hold space with them. So you're moving forward now. You find yeah. yourself in a professional career where you're a facilitator and helping other people. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, where does that put Cheryl today? I think it gives me an edge. Mm-hmm. Because I'm highly attuned to what other people are feeling and experiencing. And they may not even know what's important, but I'll hear a slight tone or I'll get a jab of something. And then I'll go back and I'll ask them about it. And I can't, I can't count how many times somebody would say, wow, I don't, I don't know how you picked that up. I didn't even know what was going on in me. So, so I wouldn't have had that ability unless I had gone through the trauma. So I want to thank you for, for using your gift. And the last question I want to ask you is, is, so if there was a magic door or a magic window where you could go back and talk to you, in an earlier part of your life before, before you were aware of what it was that you were going through from the perspective of knowing now what you've been through and going through recovery what would you say to that show what would you say well first of all I would say the only way to get past the pain is through it and when you get through it you will learn to love yourself and to receive love. I never thought that was going to be possible. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and our listeners. And uh, um, I think this is probably one of my favorites so far. So to our listeners, I want to say thank you for hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Stay tuned to Rock and Recovery for more episodes with more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, everybody, please stay standing, stay sober, and steady on.